Uh, we have been in Hebrews chapter 11 for the summer. We'll be there this Sunday and then for three more weeks. And then believe it or not, the school year will be here and we will start our school year series. Uh, the school year, we're going to be doing an overall series on discipleship. So uh, that's what we'll be doing pretty much mid-August through the middle of June next year. But uh, for our purposes this morning, we're, we're tackling the question of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith. If you want to boil down into one sentence or one statement, the purpose of God for his people, individually as well as collectively. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, um, I wonder what God's will is for my life. That's a question that, that people like me and the pastor get from time to time. Pastor, what do you think God's will is for my life? Or if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're, you're wondering about Christianity, you're thinking about it, but you're still exploring that option, what does God really intend? If I were, to, if I were actually to, to put my faith in Christ, uh, what is God after in my life, so to speak? If you boil it down to a sentence, and we go to the next slide, please, that top phrase, God's greatest aim is growing our faith in him alone for our past, our present, and our future. Now, that's not a Bible verse. That's my summation put in, in the, the simplest terms possible, what God is doing in your life and in my life as disciples of Jesus. He is growing our faith in him alone because our faith is to be in him alone. A lot of times I have faith in other things. I have faith in my own abilities. I have faith in the abilities of the people around me. I have faith uh, in a variety of different, you know, uh, different uh, places. And yet God says, at the end of the day, your faith is to be in me alone. And that's what his chief aim is. And the reason I put for our past, our present, our future, because of that song we just sang, is love never gives up. His love never fails. His love never runs out on me. A lot of you, and I include myself in this list, have things in our past of which we are very ashamed. Things when we sing that song, it brings tears to our eyes because it's almost too good to be true. Nobody loves like that. The reason we keep one another at arm's length, the, people, the, the reason that we are, we are friendly and we are polite, but we don't let folks get too close is because we're afraid that if they really knew us, they really knew what we were like deep down inside, they wouldn't like what they saw. We would experience rejection. We would experience shame. We would experience failure. And yet God says, trust me for your past. It's taken care of at the cross of Christ. A lot of us have struggled with faith in the present because our circumstances are overwhelming. They're either overwhelming, they're positively good, and the temptation is just to believe that we've done all this on our own strength and our own ability, and we don't really need God. The other end of the spectrum is we're looking up at the bottom, and we so despair of life that we can't believe God for our present circumstances. And in those moments, in both of those moments, God says, trust me, my goal is to grow your faith. And for our future, for our eternity, what happens when you close your eyes in death? What happens when I close my eyes in death. God says, I am with you there. And I'll bring you to the other side. And I've actually, as we'll see in one of the verses this morning, God has prepared a place for us. That is God's chief aim, to grow your faith and my faith in our past, our present, our future. What's our chief aim? Well, if we're honest, and I was just trying to kind of go down the honest path because I wrote a really good spiritual answer to this. I wrote a really, you know, kind of biblical answer to it. And then I looked at it and went, yeah, that's not really where I live every day, where my goal basically is to make the trip as painless as possible. 
My goal is to, to get through without too many bumps or bruises. My wife is an absolute genius when it comes to raising children. She is, she is just, uh, she's on a whole nother level. When our kids were pretty young, and our kids are now 30, 27, and 22, so we're going back a few years, but when we would go on a car trip, and you've experienced this, because when you live in St. Louis, you have to go a long way to see anybody, right? I mean, you just got to go a long way to find the mountains or, you know, the north country or the beach down south. And Cindy's family is in Colorado. They're in Minnesota. So anytime we were getting in the car, we were getting in the car for lots of hours. Cindy would go to the dollar store before we'd leave, and she would calculate about how long it was going to be until the first argument arose between the three of them in the back seat or whatever. And she would count the hours from there till we got to the destination, and usually that ended up being maybe five to seven hours. She would go to the dollar store, and if it took seven times three, she would spend $21, not much money at all, and she would get seven gifts for each kid, one for each hour. And then when the first argument broke out, she'd say, you know what? I got this box in the back, and there's filled with gifts and presents of all different shapes and sizes. For every hour you don't fight, you get to open a present. That's brilliant. I'm sorry, let that sink in for just a second. That, that's, that's smarter than solving the national debt problem in the United States of America. You get three kids to live for a dollar gift at the end of the next hour so that they literally put up with each other that much is incredible. Our goal was to make the trip as painless as possible. One time we, went, we left for a trip, and Katie was a little sick, and so Cindy gave her some medicine, and it made her sleepy. She fell asleep. She's the middle child. And uh, about halfway through the trip, she woke up, and she started being Katie. And Nate looked at Cindy and said, Mom, could, could you give her another one of those pills? Would that, be, <laughs> would that be okay? We just want to make the trip as painless as possible. That's our goal. Is that the journey of faith? What is a biblical and a godly view of this earthly sojourn? Well, that's what Hebrews Chapter 11 is all about. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 this morning. We're going to look at our first encounter in Hebrews 11. It won't be our last, our first encounter with the patriarch Abraham. Before I read those verses, though, I want to give you the the bedrock foundation of faith in verses 1 and verse 6, and the little three dots is where where the verses break. Chapter 11, verse 1, hearing the word of God, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Therefore, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And now our verses for today, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abram, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for the illumination of your spirit and your word in our lives this morning. Father, each one of us in this room is on a journey of faith, whether we realize it or not. For many of us, Lord, we say that we have faith in you through through the Lord Jesus. Our faith is in God. Father, others of us in this room are maybe considering that, but we haven't yet made that decision, or we're here and we're thinking that isn't really the journey I want to be on, but, but our faith is somewhere. Our faith is in our own ability. Our faith is in maybe science or technology. Our our faith is perhaps 
in our wealth. Uh, maybe our faith is in the fact that we're young and we have many years to live. Maybe our faith is in our, our reputation, our sense of our, our good name. But Father, you call us to one journey. You give us a gift of life through the Lord Jesus, the one who substituted his perfection for our imperfection, for our, for our guilt, for our culpability, for all those things for which we, we are ashamed. And you call us to trust that. You call us to believe that. You call us to live in faith. And Lord, that's a, that's a great word. It's a word that, that sounds wonderful. And yet, Lord, what does it mean to, to truly live in that faith? To rest in your word, in your character. To believe that you want the very best for your children. But sometimes what is best is going to look radically different than what we think it is. The best thing for Abraham was to leave and go to a foreign country where he didn't know the language or know another soul. That seems odd to us. So, Father, we pray that if you're going to increase our faith this morning, it's because you're going to have to give us a different paradigm. You're going to have to give us a, a radically uh, different vision of what it means to, to be in a relationship with you. But, God, that's the business you're in. You're, you're in the business of transformation, of changing us taking us out of darkness and into life, taking us from death to life, taking us from brokenness and emptiness to joy and fulfillment. So, Father, we pray for your spirit and your word. If we've come here to listen to me, we're wasting our time. You know my heart. You know my sin. So, Father, what I have to say is nothing more than one more man. It is only your powerful word that, word that can change and transform us. And it is that for which we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. I want to give you four observations about this text and, and this journey of faith that we're on. As God's aim is to grow our faith in him alone for our past and our present and our future. My first observation in this text is going to come out of verses 8 and 9. The first two actually are out of verses 8 and 9. And it's simply this. The journey is the destination. The journey is the destination. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he re to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You can say that a lot of times about me. Thank goodness for GPS. <laughs> By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, uh, living with him as heirs also of the promise. Now, in one sense, the journey serves its own purpose. Now, that, there, there's more to it. We'll get to that in the fourth observation. But for right now, we need to understand that in one sense, the journey is uh, what God is doing. It serves the purpose of what? Growing our faith in God. The longer you walk with God through the Lord Jesus, the longer or, or the more you have opportunities to be challenged and grow in your faith. Choices must be made. Obstacles, both, both, both physical and spiritual, overcome. Our faith is challenged, and when that takes place, growth happens. If you exercise at all, you know the more you work your muscles, the, the stronger you get. But it never gets easy, does it? Every time you go to the gym and you've maybe been on the, you know, the elliptical, you've been working up, and now you're on it for 30 minutes, now you're going to go to 45 minutes, and those, those last 15 minutes seem like you're going to die, but you're actually better shaped than you were before. Why? Because growth is taking place. 
That is what God intends for us. And so he puts us on the journey as part of his purpose. I remember back in, in the summer of 2001, we went as a family, the five of us and the kids at that point, I think Nate was 16 and Katie, or 17 maybe, Katie was 15 and Jordan was about 10. We went on a month-long family journey in the suburban. <laughs> Think about that for just a minute. We spent a month together. We went over to the East Coast. I had a speaking engagement outside of Boston, and we went a week early. I spoke. We spent a few days traveling that area, and then we spent a week in Michigan all together as a family. Here's my question for you. Did we discover that we were a close family on that trip, or did the trip help us become a close family? Did we discover that we were a close family, or did the trip help us become a close family? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Both of those are true. When we got in the car, we were close. When we got out of the car, we spent like three days not seeing each other at all because we'd had about enough, but we were actually closer in our relationships with one another, and that's what God is doing. There are glorious moments in your life and in my life. There are moments of absolute despair but they both serve the same purpose, the purpose of growing our faith. Was Abraham a man of faith when he left home? Yes, clearly. He was called to go, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That is an act of faith. God says, I'm going to show you this land, just pack up everything, and when you get to the end of the driveway, I'll tell you which way to turn. And Abraham said, okay, Lord, and he did that. But then what happened? He went and he lived in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tent. Was Abraham's journey of faith growing him every step of the way? You better believe it. If you go back and you read Genesis, you don't find a perfect person. You don't find someone that the moral of this text is not let's all go try to be like Abraham. Abraham once told, twice told a guy that he wasn't married to Sarah because he was afraid that they would steal her because she was so drop dead gorgeous and kill him in the process. So in an effort to save his own skin, he prostituted his wife. This is not a perfect person. The moral of the story is not be like Abraham. The moral of the story is God has us on a journey of faith, and as the journey progresses, we grow for that purpose. Was he a man of faith when he left home? Yes. Did it grow over a lifelong trip? You better believe it. You and I need to see life in this context. God is growing our faith. Maybe a good question to ask out of this first observation is, do I see the journey as, as part of the destination? What's going on in your life today? What's happening with you that, that when you walked in the door you were thinking about? Maybe it was the music. You went, oh, church, got to turn on that light bulb and get going because I was thinking about X. And for some of us, it might have been, man, I was thinking about X. And I, you know, next week we're going to the beach and I can't, you know, I can't hardly wait to get going. Others of us, it was, it was all we could do to put one foot in front of the other to get here this morning because our faith is almost all but vanished. Do we understand whatever the context that God seeks to grow our faith? The journey is the destination. My second observation in this text is that we need to learn to reject alternative routes. Again, coming back to verse 8 and 9, by faith Abraham obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. For Abraham, faith was not staying home. Faith was leaving. And notice that, that he obeyed, but this obedience was not based on foresight. It was not based on knowledge of how it was going to turn out. He didn't have a crystal ball and look in the future and go, well, you know, this actually plays out pretty well for me. 
This has a happy ending. So, so I'll go and do this. I've told you this before, but if we're watching a movie that has any suspense to it, and, uh, and it's a movie that I've seen before, and it's a movie that Cindy hasn't seen, and there's a chance that, you know, there's like maybe two or three key people, and maybe there's a chance that one of them is going to get knocked off before the end of the movie, right? Or, or there's a chance something bad's going to happen. She looks at me and she says, what? Tell me how this ends. I'm not going to watch it if it has a bad ending. I don't mind watching movies that have bad endings because that's kind of life sometimes. But my wife, does, Cindy, doesn't want any part of that. She's like, I already have enough of that in my life. Give me the happy endings. And if I say, if I say no, I'm not going to tell you. You just got to see it. It's so great. She'll get up and walk out of the room. She won't even stay and watch the end of the movie. She's like, forget it. And I'm like, okay, it has a happy ending. And then when it doesn't, she hits me and gets upset because I, and I, I don't blame her. She doesn't really hit me. That's not, that's not true. But she should. Um, but faith is not knowing the end of the movie. Faith is not being able to see and still taking the step. It's still being willing to trust God. Let me give you a quote from Martin Luther. He says this, in talking about this passage, this is the glory of faith. Simply not to know, not to know where you are or going, not to know what you're doing, not to know what you must suffer, and with the sense and the intellect, virtue and will, all alike made captive to follow the naked voice of God. Abraham left all and followed the Lord, preferring the word of God to everything else, loving it above all things of his own free will, a pilgrim. Where in my life, where in your life is the naked voice of God taking root? I listen to it above all else. Where am I struggling with being a pilgrim of my own free will and turning off the pathway? Maybe it's in my family, maybe it's in my business, maybe it's in my school friends. Uh, it could be a lot of different places where we're tempted to say, Lord, I see the path that we're on here, and, and I think you took a left when you should have taken a right, so I'm going to do a course correction and, and get myself back on the, the pathway that I believe is best for me. Instead of saying, Scripture is my pathway. Scripture, scripture is kind of the GPS that moves me back on track and keeps me following God on the journey of faith. About three years ago, almost three years ago, actually in about three weeks from now, it'll be three years to the date, Jordan went off to college, Katie had moved to Hawaii, Nathan was out uh, married and living his life, and we had just me and Cindy. And I said to her one day, I said, now, sit down, <laughs> and uh, which is always a good way to start a conversation. I said, I got an idea, and I really think this is the greatest idea I've ever had. She goes, what is it? I said, I think we should sell everything. And I think we should just, just, just liquidate, just, just get rid of everything we have, put it all in account, and then I think we ought to just go. I think we ought to just travel. I've I think I, maybe I've told you the story before. And, and I said, so we're just going to go and have this, this gigantic adventure. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to travel. Who knows where we'll end up? We'll just go down the driveway and decide we want to go right or left, and we'll go. And she goes, that's a phenomenal idea. Let me, let me, let me give you a suggestion. I said, what? She goes, why don't you take two weeks, go have an adventure, come back and tell me how it was. <laughs> That was probably the better course. <laughs> that was probably the better pathway. I just looked at, at Mike Dinkoff a second and saw him sitting over here. We were on a youth trip one time. We were going out to Colorado. How hard is it to get on Highway 70, just stay on Highway 70 until you get to where there's, where there's mountains? I mean, it really isn't that hard. We ended up, we were taking a whole bunch, he was high school. We were, I was taking a whole bunch of high school kids on a ski trip, and we ended up in Wichita, Kansas, which is not on the way. It is, it is like, what, an hour, 20 minutes out of the way. Somewhere coming out of Topeka, I took a left when I should have kept going straight. And Mike said, 
I don't think we're where we want to be. Fortunately, it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. Everybody was asleep. We just kept going, and, and they wake, didn't wake up and didn't know the difference. But every once in a while, you need the Word of God to say, you're not on the right pathway. You took a left when you should have taken a right. And Abraham, not based on foresight, not based on knowledge, but on, as Luther says, not knowing that's the essence of faith. And again, where is that challenge for us to take the opportunity to move on the next step of the journey of trusting God, rejecting alternative routes? I will tell you just personally, the next couple years uh, both, both excite me tremendously and scare me to death. As I think about us as a congregation, as I think about the opportunity that God has placed right in our laps to, to, to have, have, uh, be used by him to have a more permanent influence in the, this community and beyond for, for years to come if the Lord doesn't come back. And when I think about and get excited about all the ministry opportunities that presents, I'm really kind of firing all eight cylinders. And then I stop to think about the cost and I stop to think about the challenge and I stop to think about the sacrifice and I stop to think about the hours it's going to take to get all this. And I think about the hours that we just picked, an ar- uh, not an architect, we just picked a uh, construction person last week. And all the hours it took just to get to a contractor and I get scared. And I begin to say, Lord, maybe there's a different route we ought to be on. And that's where I need the word of God. Just come and say, Tom, be still and trust. It's not about knowing where you're going. It's about believing the God who's going to take you there. My third observation in this text is along those lines is embracing the journey. Look at, at verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises, a foreign land, living in tents, Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. By faith... Uh, Abraham embraced this nomadic life. Abraham went to this land and lived. Abraham was 175 years old when he died. We're not sure how old he was exactly when he was called, but he lived as a long time as a nomad. He left a lot of wealth and a lot of prestige in his home country, and he lived kind of this, this vagabond life all of the rest of his days. When his wife died, you know how much of the promised land that we read about in Scripture, you know how much of the promised land God had actually given Abraham he actually owned? None. Zero. Not an inch. That was to come later. God wasn't denying Abraham the promise. He was doing it in his timing, in his way, asking Abraham to trust him. Abraham had to, you go read Genesis 23, Abraham had to, had to bargain with some guys to buy a piece of property in order to bury his wife, who died probably about 30 years before he passed away. And yet he embraced the journey. Along the way, faith took root. And it grew. Circumstances changed, but his faith in God did not. His faith in God became one with his life so that he couldn't necessarily look and tell one from the other. Kitzmacher, Simon Kitzmacher says this, Abraham's stay in Canaan was as temporary as the pegs he drove into the ground to keep his tents pitched. I love that sentence. His stay was temporary, but his faith was enduring. And for that, Abraham is to be commended that he trusted God even though it meant uh, not having things, you know, kind of how they normally would shape up. Uh, you all know probably because I've used this uh, movie as an example from time to time. Jeremiah Johnson is one of my favorite movies. Grizz is sitting right here on the front. We could stand up. We could just recite the whole movie, but I don't think people really enjoy that. But there's a scene towards the end of the movie where Jeremiah Johnson's a guy, a wannabe. At the, at the beginning of the movie, he's a wannabe mountain man, and at the end, He's, he's a flat-out, genuine mountain man. Well, towards the end of the movie, he meets, he meets old Bear Claw, who kind of took him under his wing when he first got into the mountains. And they're sitting around a fire, and it's late in the winter, spring is coming on, uh, and Bear Claw says to him, you've come far. And Johnson re- replies, it feels like far. And then Bear Claw asks him a question. He goes, 
Was it worth the trouble? And Johnson pauses for a minute. He gets a quizzical look on his face, and he, he looks up and he says, Trouble? What trouble? <laughs> Growth had taken place in his life. The experiences that had shaped him into the person he was, he couldn't even remember. It wasn't trouble anymore to live in the snow-packed mountains. It wasn't trouble anymore to forage for, for his daily food. It wasn't trouble anymore to, to hunt and to fish and to be a mountain man because it, it, it had become the very essence of who he was. And we think about the journey of faith and embracing the journey. There, there comes not a perfection in your life that doesn't, we're not talking about getting better in our actions and behavior so that we look right. We're talking about a sense of trust and contentment so that when somebody says, you know, is faith challenging to you? You're almost like, I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> I've been around the block a time or two with my Lord and, and, and every time and every way, even though I didn't know and understand, I could see his hand in my life? Are we embracing the journey of faith? And my fourth and final observation in this text comes out of verse 10. And I said at the beginning, uh, understand the journey is the destination, but it wasn't, that's not completely true. And that's because of verse 10. We need to understand the context of the destination. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham lived in a tent city. He lived in a city without foundations. He lived in a city that, that wasn't, you know, it was designed by which way the wind happened to be blowing that day or where there was water for the animals or where maybe there was a grassland where they could feed and, and there was no foundation. And yet he knew in his heart of hearts that God had not abandoned him, that God actually was not just leading him to a physical promised land, but to the eternal promised land. So in a sense, the journey is the destination, but not completely because there is a home. And God is the creator of the master plan of grace. He's the architect of our salvation. The Lord Jesus is the one who keeps every promise and calls us to trust in him. So I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what the issues are in your heart. Maybe you're, maybe you're facing uh, coming out of a week of great joy and you're facing a, a week of, of, of vacation and that brings great joy to you. It may be, again, that you could barely get here this morning. And it might not be a, a, a tragedy. It just may be the challenges of everyday life. You say, Lord, it feels awfully alone right now. It feels like I'm kind of living in a tent on a journey and I don't know where I'm going. And at that point, through this passage of Scripture and the rest of Scripture, God says, that's right, child. can feel that way from time to time. But remember my greatest aim for you. Remember what I want to do in your life. I'm going to grow your faith in me alone for your past, your present, your future. My aim isn't to make the journey without bumps. Your purposes and my purposes kind of go separate directions there. But it's because I love you that I sent the Lord Jesus because I, I care deeply for you, that I call you to trust me and believe me and live your life in the context of faith. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for this word this morning because every one of us here is challenged in our faith. We may be challenged by the ease of our life and the wealth of our possessions. We may be challenged to, to trust you because we've kind of figured it all out. 
Father, we also may be challenged in our faith because we are in a, in a moment of despair. And it feels like the, the pain may never end. Or the questions will never go away. Or the sin that we've wrestled with for so long just keeps getting the best of us. Father, I thank you that you know every person in this room. I thank you that you know our hearts. You know our fears as well as our joys. And you don't give us all of the, the day-to-day answers ahead of time. You say, trust, believe in a very practical way. Come and follow. We will go on a journey that will culminate with a deepening of faith, which one day will be rewarded by seeing me face to face. So, Father, I pray that this day, on this leg, this little small step of the journey that finds us all gathered at the Bulldog Cafeteria, that you would grow our faith, that your chief aim of building our trust in you would take one step further in the right direction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.